TED Audio Collective. Welcome to Season 2 of ZigZag, our podcast about changing the course of capitalism, journalism, and women's lives. I'm Anoush Zamarodi. On Season 1, you heard all the gory details about me and my co-founder, Jen Poyant, leaving our stable public radio jobs to start our own company. A lot of the story was about us learning that we actually had the chops to make it on our own, but that joining a tech experiment called Civil required taking a big leap of faith. These are the stakes of the token sale. If you haven't heard of Civil, it's a startup using blockchain to build a new kind of platform for journalism. Kind of like Facebook, but for news and without the ads and creepy data collection. Anyway, I guess you could say that season one was about risk. This season is going to be about trust. Because right now, we don't know what to believe. Whether it's the government or the big tech companies or all the information relentlessly coming at us all day long. And some people, especially some women also aren't sure whether to trust the institutions and the people in charge of their careers. Trust. It's a big theme, but it's really at the core of any relationship. And without it, shit falls apart. So we got to protect it. And in some cases, try and rebuild it. It's ZigZag Season 2. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Okay, we've got a big update on what the heck is going on with Civil in the second half of the episode. Token sale, all that stuff. If you're new to ZigZag and have no idea what a token sale is, we will explain that too. It was it was quite a process. I think about this. But before I, I... we zoom into the future and talk blockchain and crypto, we want to give you a sense of where our heads are for this second season of ZigZag. Okay, so while I was doing research for season two, I came across a really funny story. You know that famous saying from Marshall McLuhan, the media theorist, the medium is the message? When you trigger these vast media that we use, you are manipulating entire populations. Well, back in the 60s, when the book first came back from the typesetter, there was a mistake. The title was spelled, the medium is the massage. M-A-S-S-A-G-E. But when McLuhan saw the typo, he loved it. He thought the confusion actually made perfect sense. And so the publisher left it. And to this day, you can read the title as The Medium is the Massage, or Mass Age, or The Medium is the Message, or Mess Age, which seems more appropriate right now. None of these readings are wrong. And to me... This little story is a great example of how information is in the eye of the beholder. 
And sometimes different interpretations or even confusion is okay. It might even be good. But, and there's a big but, sometimes, like when pillars of society, democracy are at stake, truth and facts, clarity, they matter a hell of a lot. And we're in a moment like that, as you likely know, right now. None of these allegations are true. Zero. One hundred percent. These allegations should be investigated. No doubt in your mind. One hundred percent certain. By the FBI. So every episode this season, we will be investigating the link between information and trust on multiple levels. Jen and I are, of course, building a business based on our belief that being open and honest with each other will help our creative partnership flourish and hopefully start making us some money. Civil, of course, wants to use blockchain to create a trustworthy place for journalism. But first, it needs to get thousands of people to agree to participate in its crazy crypto-based idea. And for those of you dying to know if our company and Civil's big experiment survive, we will continue to document both in real time this season. But we also want to talk to some of the smartest, most kick-ass people around about the bigger picture. How we get citizens to believe the news that they read. How do we get them to believe in their government again or in the companies whose products they use every single day? How do we get them to believe in each other? And I am honored to announce that we're starting this season right here, right now, with a special look at a fascinating new report from the Knight Foundation. The report is called Disinformation, Fake News, and Influence Campaigns on Twitter. This is one of the largest analyses ever done on how false news spread on Twitter during and after the 2016 U.S. presidential election. Because Twitter really is the epicenter of what feels like a big, hot political mess. Twitter is a place where a lot of political conversation in particular happens in social media. Sam Gill is vice president for communities and impact at the Knight Foundation. The Knight Foundation is all about funding and protecting journalism. But Sam's job has gotten harder. Around two-thirds of Americans now get their news from social media, but the trust they have in the information they get there is plunging. It's kind of scary. That fear is a good place to start asking questions. And we wanted to know, what was this phenomenon that we were worried, you know, was not only potentially influencing an election, but potentially influencing the course of our democracy? So to try and better understand how exactly false information spreads on the platform, Sam and the Knight Foundation commissioned some groundbreaking research from these guys. My name is Matt Hindman, Associate Professor of Media and Public Affairs at George Washington University. My name is Vladimir Barash. I am Science Director at Graphica. Graphica is a startup focusing on social media analysis. Matt and Vlad came together to figure out and map two things, the source of all the false information on Twitter and how it managed to ooze so quickly across the platform. Disinformation is information that is intended to deceive or mislead. Stories for which there was no attempt to verify or, in fact, was made up deliberately to, uh, to mislead. You don't just make a map of fake news from nowhere. You have to figure out, all right, what are the entry points 
there is a growing reluctance uh, among researchers and public figures, journalists, to use the uh, to use the phrase fake news. The report does use the term fake news specifically to refer to this genre of disinformation. Like the Pope endorsed candidate Trump, or you can vote via text, no need to go to the polls. Some information just isn't true. You still can't text your vote, at least not here in the U.S. Matt and Vlad consulted with other researchers and came up with a list of websites that consistently put out false information. So those are the seeds. And then we collected all the tweets from October to November 2016. As you can imagine, led to a ton of data, millions and millions of tweets. With a lot of big data processing power, they reduced all those millions of tweets into three maps to try and conclusively see, from a bird's eye view, the path of fake news as it travels from a single website into millions of people's feeds. People assume that disinformation is a whack-a-mole problem, that there are hundreds, thousands of different accounts and they're constantly changing. But that's not really what we find in our report. That the vast majority of fake and conspiracy news links on Twitter goes to just a couple dozen different sites. And even more surprising, and contrary to what other researchers had found, we found that those were relatively stable, both during the 30 days before the election and in the period five months later. This was a big surprise. The fake stuff wasn't just streaming onto Twitter willy-nilly. It was a small number of outlets. Some Russian propaganda, some not. And they were responsible for nearly 90% of the false information on Twitter. And these sites, whether they were Sputnik or Infowars, most of the time, they were actually believable because the majority of the information they published was true. On a typical day when you look at their website, you're going to find that most of their stories look pretty anodyne. Most Mm. of them are rewritten wire service stuff. And yet 5%, even 3% of what they're publishing is made up. And that dangerous and inflammatory 3 to 5% that was made up, it was getting pumped out onto Twitter. Maybe you've already guessed by whom. Yeah, unwitting tweeters, certainly. But also... Bots. One of the most striking case studies we present in the report is hashtag no DAPL, no DAPL, which was uh, against the Dakota Access Pipeline. This was a big story around the 2016 election. I think it's still a big story now. We used a visualization that Graphica created for uh, this hashtag called a chronotope. Fancy word, but it's actually a very simple visualization. The XY plot from high school, X axis is time, and the Y plot is actually like dots lit up, and each dot corresponds to an individual tweet. And the color of the dot corresponds to the uh, cluster that the tweet came from. So usually when you look at these diagrams, they look a little like sprinkles. There's a lot of interests scattered about in a story, if it's it's a popular interest story, and people's attention waxes and wanes, so there's like a lot of sprinkles in one part of the graph and then like not so much. No dapple looks completely different. It's very concentrated blue dots every five hours for like 10 days, and that is a perfect evidence of automation. Instead of, like humans don't act like this, 
what the diagram shows is you have a set of accounts that are tweeting exactly on the dot every five hours, hashtag no dapple, and producing incendiary content that is meant to create more division around this hashtag on the right and the left in American politics. It's just such a striking example of automation being used to promote fake news. And there are so many other examples. In thinking about how and why this kind of social media manipulation matters, it's important not to see it in isolation because it helps set the agenda and because it boosts issues that wouldn't necessarily be in the mainstream uh, to much higher prominence. And we can see multiple instances of the president talking about issues and highlighting issues that were relatively fringe and raising them to much higher prominence. These are paid protesters, folks. They've got the most beautiful signs made from a factory. They're all in many places, like California, the same person votes many times. You probably heard about that. They always like to say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. Not a conspiracy theory, folks. I watched when the World Trade Center came tumbling down. Thousands and thousands of people were cheering as that building was coming down. And here's the crazy thing. The researchers figured, well, you know, at least there would be less of the false information floating around after the election in 2016. But actually, very little changed. We found to a very surprising degree that the same accounts that were really active in pushing disinformation before the election were still active afterwards. I think from my perspective, Perhaps the single most shocking and surprising thing in the report is that this supercluster of accounts is still active today. On average, they're publishing 11 or 12 tweets a second. Um, you know, over the course of this interview, they've published thousands and thousands of tweets. Wow. And what, I mean, who knows, but what do you think this means for the midterm elections that are coming up? What will you be watching for? I, I think it's very concerning. It's very common for these kinds of networks to lie in wait and then strategically insert information into the network. Some of them appear to be left-leaning. Most, in our case, are, though certainly not all, are right-leaning. But they just kind of sit back and are active every day. And then when the moment comes, they all turn on and inject disinformation uh, huh. into the public sphere. So we saw that specifically in our report with keywords that related to the so-called Pizzagate conspiracy. That within a period of just a couple days, about a week before the election, all of these different accounts from various different clusters or segments uh, that didn't seem to have a whole lot to do with each other, all turned on at once and pushed Pizzagate-related hashtags at very, very high volume. Pizzagate. Remember that conspiracy in 2016 about the Clinton campaign? That it was allegedly coordinating a child sex ring out of a D.C. pizza joint? And then a guy who got really upset about these false stories showed up at that pizza joint with a gun? We're going to link to this report, by the way, and all of its examples and maps of how these strange stories spread at zigzagpod.com in our newsletter. Oh, and if you're thinking, I am so glad I didn't see any of this stuff in my Twitter feed. Well, your day may yet come. 
Yeah, I think that that's the real concern, that if you're not able to be aggressive over time in finding and weaning out these fake accounts, they're essentially time bombs. Didn't Twitter have this big culling of bots? I mean, I know they said they did. I lost no followers, and I know that I have a lot of bots following me. (laughs) We don't find any significant drop-off across these accounts. As of, you know, as of this interview, as of, or I should say last week, 83, 84% of the accounts that were active in our supercluster before the election are still active today. We'll talk about what you, dear listener, can do to keep it real on Twitter and elsewhere on the next episode. Uh, By the way, we reached out to Twitter to ask for an interview about this report, but they declined. Uh, They did put out a statement, though, saying that the Knight report, quote, does not take into account any of the actions we take to remove automated or spammy content and accounts from being viewed by people on Twitter. We do this proactively and at scale every single day. Okay, me again here. Uh, We'll just have to take Twitter's word for it. Stick around, because when we come back, that new tech platform trying to keep out fake news and disinformation, Civil, it was just an idea in season one. But now, people are actually buying Civil tokens to try and support it. Have they bought enough to bring Civil to life? We have some answers. Jen will be here, and we'll be right back. All last season, Jen and I told you the story of the startup that gave us a grant to join it, Civil. The latest big news for Civil is that Forbes just announced it will be the first major media brand to begin experimenting with publishing content to the Civil platform. Okay, now on to the token sale. Just a reminder, Civil's aim was to be the first blockchain project that regular people, not just crypto nerds and bros, got involved in. There are just a few days left for people to join the platform. As of this recording, 2,352 people are registered to buy civil tokens. They have pledged over $2 million. And that means, and I'm going to be honest here, we don't know if civil will make the $8 million minimum unless some big purchasers, whales as they call them in the crypto world, uh, unless they join the party. I know a lot of you listening have bought tokens or tried to buy tokens. Trust me, it's not you. The entire process has been so convoluted. Just take it from this guy. John Keefe, my friend John Keefe. Hi. I'm so happy you're here. So good to see you. John Keefe is a friend and former collaborator of Jen and mine. He helped us do all these crazy, wonderful interactive projects on our old podcast, Note to Self. Now he works at Quartz.com. If you haven't heard of it, Quartz is a really innovative business news website. And John really is the perfect blend of journalism experience and tech know-how. But when John heard about our little civil experiment, he was confused, like a lot of people. Oh, and Jen did show up a few minutes later, by the way. Single task for a day. Here she is. She's coming in. Come on in. Hey! Hey! Good to see you. Good. 
I've heard of Civil for a while, right? Or from the early days, uh, you know, I follow what's going on in journalism. It's something that people were talking about. So I, I was sort of interested in trying to track it. And frankly, I couldn't figure it out. I really could for weeks and months. And, and I would talk to a lot of really, really smart people mm. whose opinions I really, really trust. And they're like, yeah, we don't get it either. And was, I was that like, before Jen and I jumped ship and went so to Civil? It was then right about that. So that had happened. And then right about that time, you guys were like, look, we're leaving. We're going to this new thing. And I saw that you guys were doing this and you guys are friends of mine. So I wanted to know like what you were doing. And I sort of had a renewed interest in it. Mm. And then, yeah, we went for a run. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, it, I'm really starting to get it. And I was like, OK, I'm, I'm going to listen and I'm going to listen to see if I get it. And so I started listening, and you guys are pretty good at explaining what's going on and also sort of getting the energy up. Like, I was, I was like, okay, <laughs> I might not really completely still understand it, but I'm kind of jazzed. They, they seem to be excited about it. And I was like, okay, what better time? My friends are doing this thing. Seems like cool journalism and technology. I'll give it a go. So the first thing I did was I, I just did it myself. I just decided I would uh, try to register for the token sale and blog about it. So I did that. What, and was, that was, it, what a, was the piece called? Something like uh, buying civil tokens in 44 easy steps. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know about you, Jen, but when I looked at the blog post, I was like, why didn't civil write this? That's exactly <laughs> what my... Reaction was exactly. Well, there's a PDF on the site somewhere that I kind of followed along, which looks yeah. like a treasure map. Actually, yeah, it, yeah, it was it was quite a process. So, can you just give people the gist of the blog post? I mean, obviously, we will link to it, and you definitely should it's read it. Post. It's a great post. Yeah, it's very thanks. clear. Well, I mean, the gist of it was first of all, I went into it not in any way, you know, trying to like embarrass anybody or do anything like that. I mean, I legit was like, okay. Uh, blockchain, cool. Cryptocurrency, cool. I'm going to try this out. I haven't, I didn't know until you guys were talking about it. I didn't know about hot wallets and cold wallets and hardware wallets and whatever. I didn't know about any of that stuff. And I was like, okay, you know, I have a little bit of time. I have a weekend. I can sit down and give it a go. And so I just started following through and I was like, wow, another website. Wow. Upload my passport. Oh, wow. Here's another website. Oh, upload my driver's license. Take a selfie. Uh, oh, now I, oh, finally I can give some, I have to put some money down. Wait, right. you take a quiz or two. Oh, yeah. Forgot the quizzes. Right. So studied for the quiz. Right. I was like, I knew because you, you had failed the quiz, yes. right? So I was Thanks, like, okay. John, for yeah, sorry. Thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was like, okay, well, I better read everything or I'm going to fail the quiz like Manish did. <laughs> sorry. Uh, and I passed. And I was like, great. And then I went through, and there's a second quiz. Yeah, 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 yeah. I uh -huh. passed that one, too. And <laughs> and so then I was ready to put the money down. And what was crazy, and I know this is changing, or maybe it will have changed by the time this yeah, we'll podcast comes out. Uh -huh. But um, but at the time, you couldn't just buy tokens with cash. You have to first buy Ethereum. Yes. And with the Ethereum, we buy the civil tokens. And had you ever bought crypto before? No, no. So I was learning all along the way. So you've inspired me to try that too. Well, that's yeah. good. How the only... was the MetaMask part? That was the hardest part for me for Je some reason. Jen's really hung up on MetaMask. Yeah, I, I don't know the little uh, the little Which fox is, by character. The way, a yeah, the plugin. Yeah. Just pause, uh, nerds out there. Or, or non-nerds, I should say, out there. MetaMask, hot wallet. It's like basically a widget for Chrome or any of your browsers where you keep your crypto. Yeah, and it's actually, it's actually kept in there, in your browser, in the computer. But it's also the thing you have to do to buy the tokens, both the Ethereum and then later the civil tokens. Anyway, 
So you can see why this is 44 steps. So you, it was interesting because then you updated your post and you said, I think I bought Civil. Right. And I was like, wait a minute. And so I went and did it. And because, you know, we're getting, we're getting tokens, obviously. But I was like, I got to go through this process too. So I went through everything you went because I was like, what did he, what did, why does he say that? So I got to the point. Yeah. I bought the Civil. Yeah. And I was like, nothing. Right. It was like, yeah, no like email no confirmation. Yeah. No, no like, nothing. No, no, not even like a friendly email initially, not a friendly email saying, hey, you did this. Your civil tokens are on the way. You know, right. like if you buy, you know, a new phone or, Which you there know. there weren't, right? Like they're not, no. you don't even get them until mm-hmm. after the sale. Well, so right. there's that. Right. And, and yeah. you know, when you buy something from Amazon, you don't get it right away, right? You get an email saying, hey, it's on its way. Here's how you right. track it. Right. Here's what you can do. I know you just plunked down a lot of money for this expensive thing. But really, it's coming. And there was none of that until about 6 o'clock that night. Yes. So to be clear, Civil was watching all of this going down (laughs) because you weren't the only one giving feedback. I'll just read a couple other notable names in journalism who also decided to weigh in that day. Uh, Dan Sanker, who was the director of Open News, he hosts the Says Who podcast, said, Here is a tremendously complicated purchasing process for a monetary system of dubious worth attached to a journalistic process of unknown value. That seems to be the entire proposition, he wrote. Uh, that got some likes. Uh, Adam Davidson, one of the founders of Planet Money, now at The New Yorker, he tweeted, I'm rooting for them, but holy crap, have they not figured out how to communicate? I spent, for real, five hours last week trying to figure out what they're up to. I kind of almost understand it, but not enough to know why in the world I would buy a civil token. And, of course, I jumped in and I was like, Adam, did you listen to ZigZag? And he wrote back, yes. That's one thing not to make yeah. through the process. But yeah. if he's like, I don't understand what the heck you guys are talking about. And he writes for The New Yorker. He founded Planet Money. Like, yeah. that's not good. No. Again, I was kind of in this for the adventure. So that's part of why I went through this. Yeah. That, and that, just to be clear about that, I don't expect to make any money. And I'm interested. But Can I, I just was say also like what you're down saying, for the adventure. What you're saying, that, that adventure spirit yeah. is what we've heard from the listeners who have like are in this as well. That's their whole thing. In fact, James Carlson, a listener, tweeted, uh, As of this morning, I'm the proud owner of 880 civil tokens. What an adventure. Here's what I think civil is doing. Talked to Vivian. I've talked to other folks. And mainly from reading the materials, here's what I think you're doing. Um, You're part of this new platform or system. I was calling it a system because I don't know what a platform is, but some new system where certain newsrooms are allowed to be a part of the system. And if they, if they're good journalists, they can be in the system. If they're not good journalists and don't follow the the Constitution, they can basically be voted off the island by the other people in the system. And the way you get into the system is by buying civil tokens. And that allows you to vote. It allows you to challenge. It allows you to do some of those things. And that's basically what it seems like the foundation is. There may be some other benefits like, oh, since it's based on the blockchain um, and it's immutable, you could uh, somehow write your stories to be connected to the blockchain and then they're archived forever and they can't be changed, or at least that version is like restored. Okay, I can sort of see that too. Um, also, there may be a chance for like micropayments where you actually use it like money. But, all, but those things also seem sort of down the ladder of things that you could do and not the real reason, but the real reason is like to be sort of a part of this system that um, is, you know, for the integrity of journalism in a time 
now, maybe even more so in the future, where trust and integrity is harder to discern out in the out in the ether. So that's basically what I think it is. You know, is Jen that... and I are like looking at each other and basically nodding. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And yeah. if that's, I mean, if that's your jam, if it's like, oh, I'm kind of into journalism, I'm kind of into like the idea of something new and different. Maybe this is something to take part in. Uh, great. If I feel, and this, I had to have this sort of attitude that I was like. I could lose all of this money. Yeah. This might not work at all. Uh, this may fail miserably. I sort of had to be like, okay, I'm kind of down for that too. Mm-hmm. And I sort of saw it as like buying an adult education class. But I understand crypto a hell of a lot better. No, so. I totally do too. I understand it better. I understand if I wanted to, I now know how Wait. I would go out and buy Bitcoin or something like that. Okay, so by the time we come back next week, the sale will be over. Civil has, like, done a lot of stuff. They, the, the sale is an entire month. They changed the entire process. The people can now purchase Civil tokens, and they can do it by online bank payment or wire transfer. But Josh Benton, that <laughs> Neiman Lab editor who is kind of like a supporting cast member in all of this, sort of in the shadows, um, he tweeted, the move to a smoother process comes at a time where it's unclear whether Civil will be able to pull this token sale off. We will know this time next week. Right. Well, so either way it goes, I mean, something to look at, which, you know, we we're all at public radio, right? Yeah. And so what does public radio do? Public radio gets on for 10 days, three times a year, sometimes more, to go ask for money, right? So here we are in New York City, and we hear on the radio for 10 days, this is the thing you love, this is the programming you love, you get it for free, please send us money. And it works. And they raise millions that way. Um, It's a little bit different when you have a situation that it's like, hey, here's something you might not fully understand, something that doesn't actually really fully exist yet. Mm. It's hard to love it because you don't know what it is and it doesn't exist. And uh, contributing is a little bit challenging. Even a wire transfer or something like that is different than just plunking down your credit card and saying, hey. Here's, here's some money. So I think that that's, I'm not from the world of crypto coin and things like that. So I don't know what would be expected in some other world. But it's also very, really interesting that one of the promises is not like, hey, you're going to get rich at this, right? I mean, it's very clear in oh, the yeah. documentation that it's like, if, you, if you're in this for the money, you're in the wrong place. So then it's, it's sort of like, wow, that's a bigger hill to climb, that $8 million uh, sort of minimum is a seems like a pretty big hill to climb. I think your comparison to an adult education course is not far off, right? I mean, when you're going to go to a class, you're, you spend some money and you learn something. There's, I'm convinced that despite as much as I looked at it, even I read all the instructions as you're supposed to beforehand, I didn't fully grasp everything until I went through the entire process. And in the process, you have to put some money down. Mm -hmm. So it was absolutely an education for me. um, And that may end up being all that it is, or it could be something bigger. We'll see. What do you think? I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think it's I think you're an, he's right. Your analogy is correct. And some people will do it to learn and experiment and sort of play in kind of a high stakes, higher stakes way than most people have in the past. And it's a new form of trying to understand media and journalism and our world. 
it's a little scary and intimidating sometimes. I mean, it's just a completely different place than we're used to going. I will just say that I went to the token sale at 10.01 on the day of the sale because the first I day. was the day of the sale. It went on, everything went on sale at 10, 10 o'clock. Yeah. And I, lo- tur- I Did opened you really? my, yeah, I was like I love it. set up and I went through and I sort of did this whole thing because I was worried that it would be, you know, like Sold a out? BTS concert or something. Where <laughs> I like I couldn't get, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to get the tokens because I everybody had, would I be had done with that this. did the same thing. Yeah. Wow. And so the fact that this far into it, just a small fraction of, well, of what you need to raise in order for this whole thing to happen at all or hit that minimum mm-hmm. isn't like that we're this many days out and it's still as of this recording, mm-hmm. a f- pretty long way to go, mm-hmm. is a little bit shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, that was not what I was expecting. So I was going to ask you guys a question. Sure. So at this point in the sale, you can see that 90% of what has been purchased right now has been from one wallet. So one company, one person, yeah, yeah. That's one a whale. dog. That's <laughs> Somebody a whale, right? on the yeah. internet is buying this. So then, you know, journalism friends of mine have been like, what does that mean? Like some entity has 90% of the tokens being sold so far. So then it's like, okay, you know, What is does that, that do to the system? Yeah, I, I mean, is that cool like if the idea is the community is you know driving this system and the community is a very small number of people you know that it's just sort of good you sort of go huh wow interesting okay may may i Mm. i think it's a fascinating question and it's a question that our listeners have asked over and over again and from what civil has answered i think to get them launched and to get them through the low cap they're okay with that and they keep turning towards the civil foundation as like the check against that sort of power within the voting system. And that the idea is that once more journalists join and more newsrooms join and then more consumers join, hopefully that imbalance of power would even out. But the foundation is there to check it. So that's what I said to my friends, Yeah, just to be like, you know, that's something to consider. I think it absolutely is. I mean, it's very, we'll see if the foundation actually does that. Yeah, yeah. All right, on the next episode, we will find out whether a handful of big spenders put in enough money to get civil across the $8 million finish line, or maybe, you know, thousands of more people figured out how to buy these civil tokens. What happens next? Once again, we don't know. Okay, we will also have more from that in-depth investigation from the Knight Foundation into how false news spread on Twitter. I think Twitter and Civil are both at their heart, big social experiments, but they're just at very different stages in their life cycles. And it is truly fascinating to watch how the technology changes when people start using it. 
in, in ways that none of us could ever really predict. You can learn more about the Knight Report and the Knight Foundation at kf.org slash misinfo. Uh, we will link to the civil token sale, the Forbes announcement, all the stuff we talked about on the episode on our website, zigzagpod.com. Also, on our website, you can see some beautiful artwork. It's actually data analysis of my interviews with those night researchers by the extremely talented Georgia Lupi. Uh, she will be doing all of season two's illustrations. We are so grateful to her. Also, at the bottom of our homepage, go on, sign up for our fabulous and free newsletter, which every week has links and verification of all the things that we mention on the episode plus recommendations for other podcasts that we think you'll like. You'll get to hear what Jen and I are listening to. Zigzag Pod is the place to go. This episode was made possible with support from the Knight Foundation. It was produced by me and Jen Poyant. David Herman is our audio engineer and composer. Many thanks to our other audio engineer, Dan DeZula. We got additional production help from Sarah Curson. Zigzag comes from Stable Genius Productions in partnership with Civil. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm Manoush Samarodi. Thank you so much for listening. My mom just texted me that the Forbes news is awesome. I retweeted, but I didn't even know she was on Twitter. (laughs) Your mom's on Twitter? No, I had no idea. I have to go find her and retweet her. <laughs> <laughs>